1: cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hello and welcome to the reset a mental health podcast without all the bollocks i'm sam delaney My guest this week is Tim Hayes, the man who became one of the world's most successful personal trainers, working for royals and rock stars all over the world before burnout and addiction got the better of him and his business. Tim battled addiction to both work and drugs for many years, but now he's sober, living in Cape Town and coaching others in how to avoid burnout and find peace in their lives. I really enjoyed speaking to him about all this and more. He's a wise bloke who's been there, done that, screwed it all up and come back stronger. The sort of story that The Reset is all about. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Tim, welcome to The Reset. Thank you very much. Good to be here. You've led a, a fascinating life with all sorts of changes of direction. And um, and I'm really interested to find out more about that. I'm really interested to talk to you a bit about the topic of burnout, which I think is something that I know I've been through was connected to my bad habits and my addictions. And I, I think that you've been through on more than one occasion yourself. Uh, so let's go back to the early stages of your career uh, and, and what you, you first did to to make a living.
2: Well, I came out of university with an IT and business degree, which I never really had an interest in, but you know, we make a decision when we're 17 what what to study. And someone said, well, you're good at selling and you've done an IT and business degree, so go and sell IT networks so, so that's what I did so I kind of went into, into the city in London in 2000 I was 22 I think and um, put my head down and I just wanted to be like, like it was in the movies you know make loads of money and take loads of cocaine and uh, that's what I did um, and, um, and the wheels came off for me um, four years later um where you know all I was doing was really just working to make money. I, I didn't really have any that much joy. I mean, it was fun going out after work, but the actual work itself wasn't wasn't enjoy, enjoyable at all. So um, I guess that that was kind of the start of my first burnout, my first uh, rock button, which was, you know, um, fueled by drug addiction as well.
1: So that you were still in your twenties when it it first hit you.
2: Yeah, I would say. uh, I mean, you know, my first job I started. You know, I was in a startup sales tech business, and we worked seven days a week. I used to get there at seven o'clock in the morning, um, start cold calling, and you know, we would leave late at night. So it was full on from from the beginning. But my main interest was just making lots of money. So I never really considered uh that burnout was 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 a thing um and i think that's part of the reason why i started to take a lot of drugs as well was just just kind of alleviate the the burnout which of course as we know uh it doesn't end well well it didn't end well for me anyway
1: Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, that you start doing those things because you think it's fun and you think it's part of the lifestyle that you're working for, but in actual fact, very quickly just becomes a a case of self-medication because it's impossible, even when you're young, to sustain the kind of working practices that a lot of us try to sustain without some sort of chemical support. Um, Mm. Why do you think it was that, you know, uh, you and I are roughly the same sort of generation that you know, we just accepted that that kind of level of work was not just necessary to get by, but actually it was quite aspirational. It was something that we boasted about, you know, and you felt kind of proud of the amount of hours you put in. How do you look back on your mindset there and how that came about?
2: I think it was more, I mean, you know, London has that business spirit. It's got that kind of money, money energy, particularly in the in the city and i guess there was a, a big ego element you know i went to boarding school and all of all of my friends we all went off to different universities we all kind of amalgamated back in london in the early 2000s and i think it was important to be to me looking back to be the most successful to have the most money i remember when i got a bmw and no one no one else i mean it wasn't my bmw or i had it on higher purchase but it looked nice and I was sort of driving people around. And um, I don't think I had any more, more money necessarily than my friends, but, but there was very much an image that I wanted to hmm. create, create looking back then that for some reason was important to me.
1: So what happened? What, how did your, burn, your first burnout ma- manifest itself?
2: Well, the first, the first job um, that I i got employed for i got sacked after after two years for doing too much cocaine which ironically in the interview he asked me how much cocaine did i want to take um year wow. one that was one of that was one of the uh that was one of the interview questions and then i got sacked for doing too much which i thought was a bit unfair really i mean i, I thought that was one I thought that was one of my targets um <laughs> And I think then I, you kind of knew I had a problem with, with drugs, but I didn't consider alcohol a problem. So I just, I was always very good at interviews and always very, no one ever checked my references. Had they bothered to check, they would have known I'd been sacked from previous companies. So, you know, fast forward four years later, I'd been sacked from five jobs in five years. And, and the length of time that I managed to keep those jobs just got less and less and less. And that was because the drug use got more and more and more and more, you know. So harder work, more, more drugs, less sleep. Um, and it got to the point in February 2005 where I, I went into rehab.
1: Did you check yourself in? Was this something that your family were involved in and, or knew about? Or was this something you just decided that you had to do?
2: Yeah, I mean, my it was very much a case of I didn't think I had a problem, despite what everything that was going on but my everyone else could see that I clearly did. And, you know, that's often, that's often the case. So I think initially I went in just, I was a bit pissed off with everyone, you know, I was like, leave me alone. I need to go, go in and just get you off my back.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that, I never had any intention of stopping at that point. I didn't think that I had a, a problem. Uh, and of course it wasn't until I actually went into treatment that I started to consider that, um, yeah, maybe there was a... Maybe I was the common denominator of being sacked continually over and over and over again. So, um, yeah.
1: So it worked then. I mean, the treatment worked. Because some people, especially first time in rehab, especially if they go in resistant to the idea, not yet ready to admit they have a problem, they fight mm. it. But you found it effective.
2: I did, yeah. I mean, you know, I had it pretty easy. I was 28. My parents uh, were willing to kind of fund it. And... Um, and I ended up spending a year in treatment. So I, 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 went, I went to the Priory in London and then I went out to Cape Town where I did like the, the various different versions of treatment. So, you know, my first year I didn't really have to work. Um, I just sort of did rehab and, and went, I went to meetings. So it was a kind of a, a false um, beginning, if, if, if you like. But I think I'd made the decision, you know, I looked around at all my friends who were, you know, coming into the uh, 30s, getting married, settling down and you know I was uh, I was uh, in a pretty dark place so it was obvious for me that I needed to do something about it you know.
1: And what did you learn about yourself? Did you learn that you know your attitude to work, money, status image were were uh, you know important parts at the, at the heart of this addiction?
2: I, I think I learned that. I mean, my belief is that it's just an illness. My my dad, uh, he's an alcoholic. He got sober when I was five, so he'll be about forty years sober. So it kind of runs in the family. And if I look back, I mean, even when I was little, I'd sneak off and you know sniff tippets and steal my dad's cigars when I was seven, just to try and get some some sort of buzz. So I think I think the writing was always on the walls for me. Um, but when I got clean. I really understood that I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't control it. I couldn't drink successfully. I couldn't take drugs successfully. Um, But also that my career was just not something that I was interested in. You know, it was based off a degree that I decided to do when I was 17. So really my first career was predetermined when I was 17 and I had no interest in it. Um, So that's when I, I, I decided to change careers and then move into the fitness industry.
1: So that was after a year of, of rehab. Um, um, yeah. what, did you, what did you do next then?
2: I did a diploma in in sports science and personal training. Um, I, I lived in Cape Town for a couple of years and just worked as a freelance personal trainer. Um, and then I went back to London 2007. Um, I met a woman on, on the train who knew all about uh, addiction and recovery, and, and and I thought that that was my calling, and I fell in love. Well, I didn't fall in love. I was like just weirdly infatuated with this woman, but that was a catalyst for me coming back. And that relationship lasted about three weeks, I think. Um, <laughs> and um, and then I just put my head down. You know, um, I, I I really wanted to make a success as a as a fitness trainer, so I grew a really successful mobile personal training business. In, in, a, in about three years, I uh, had 10 trainers working for me and um, was working for celebs and royals and people like that.
1: So uh, that's tremendous and you had a lot of success again, but do, were there any warning signs or red flags in your, in your mind that, hang on, this is all happening very quickly, my career is escalating again, much as it had done the first time round? Did, did you see that as dangerous in any way?
2: Yeah, so I, I did, I, you know, I, I'd made the same mistake. And I think a lot of people do when they become self-employed or I wanted to create freedom and peace and joy in my life. And I wanted to be a fitness trainer because I wanted to be of service to others and I wanted to improve the quality of their lives through health and fitness. And then I thought, well, I can make a lot of money doing this as well. And that's when the the kind of the carrot was dangled as it was in many ways when I started my career in sales and so my business became more about making money and less about training clients. I mean I would sign some, some clients simply because you know they were rich or famous and mm-hmm. and, uh, and they were going to pay me a lot of money um, and so yeah that 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 led me pretty quickly I would say to my Second burnout, probably my most significant burnout, which was around 2012.
1: Just before we get into that, how much do you think that your, you know, the characteristics of an addict, in in a terrible way, you have to admit yourself sometimes that it's kind of helped you in some ways.
0: Mm.
2: Oh, I mean, I absolutely think it has. You know, you have to be a bit cheeky and a bit crafty when you're a drug addict, and so you can, you can use some of those. Uh, aspects of reading humans to benefit you in a healthy way in 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 business Um, and i've always had a kind of all or nothing approach um and quite fearless in terms of launching businesses and taking quite big risks which have always paid off in 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 one form or another so definitely me deciding to be a one-man band personal trainer and then having 10 trainers which i never intended to um, I definitely think there are aspects of my addictive personality that drove me in, in, in that direction, for sure.
1: Um, so what happened the second time round? How long had you been sober and, and how did relapse come about?
2: So I'd been sober, I was coming up to seven years. Uh, I was seven years and 10 months. It was uh, the end of 2012. And what happened was, I think my relapse started that summer, really. Emotionally, it started that mm. summer where I'd just come back from Saudi. I was working for a royal out there. They were pay, paying me a ton of money. I'd far exceeded my expectations in terms of how much money I wanted to be making. Um, I had status. I, you know, I had the privilege of working with, you know, the Rolling Stones and Amy Winehouse and people like that and like quite big, quite quite big names and you know I thought that when I have all those things I'll be really happy um I bought a flat in Cricklewood and I was walking through Hamster Heath on a summer's day in June 2012 everyone was sitting around everyone was having a conversation being happy and I was absolutely miserable and I thought to myself this isn't fair because you know you told me, society told me that when I have all this stuff, I'm going to be really happy. Yeah. And uh and that was a really, really difficult place for me to, to, to be. And you know, one of the things I wanted to say earlier was I have a really close relationship with my dad. And I think I always wanted my dad to be proud of me. Mm. Um, and I think that was one of my driving for, forces for me growing the fitness business in the way that I did. I remember him saying, you know, personal trainers don't make any money. And it was almost like, you know, I'll show you kind of thing, um, which which I did. And he was proud of me. But that, that never, you know, I wasn't proud of myself. I wasn't proud of myself. And so I never reached out and asked for help. I didn't know what to say, to be honest. I didn't know what to say. I thought, well, I'm supposed to be happy and I'm not. Where do I go from here? I've got everything on paper, you know um and so yeah late i think it was december 2012 i thought well i'm gonna call up a prostitute get her to buy me drugs and come over and and that's uh that was the beginning of my relapse which lasted about a year and a half
1: so that's a pretty big That's not not a not not i mean emotionally it sounds like it was gradual but in terms of Mm. you actually falling off the wagon very much Mm. an all or nothing approach you went you went all in
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm not interested in having a glass of wine. Right? Uh, I want a lot. Uh, I want a lot. Otherwise, I'm not interested. So, um, so yeah, it was it was all in uh, and more from from day dot.
1: So, what's interesting to me is, you know, as someone who's who's sort of been sober in recovery for coming up for seven years, it's Mm. uh, you know you're, you're constantly told. That you know, complacency is is the big enemy. Mm. I, you know, I, and I'm sure a lot of other addicts who've got however many years under their belt, you know, some days you just you or a lot of days you start to feel like it's no longer there. It's no longer you don't have any urges, you don't, you, you, you know. So what I'm really interested in is what is there to learn about the way in which relapse can come about? Because obviously it's a terrifying prospect to so many of us. So as someone who's been through it, what, what are the lessons? What, what can we be looking for? What do you wish you'd done?
2: You know, the, the life that I got when I got sober was a direct result of, of you know, my recovery process. And, you know, I, I've always kind of attended 12-step Fellowship meetings—not that that's a necessary part of recovery, but it's part of my journey. And I took my eye off the ball. You know, I thought, well, this stuff has made me happy, but now there's more, um, and so I—I ca- I guess I became addicted to the more and forgot about how I got here in the first place. Um, and don't get me wrong; I think anyone can be as successful and as financially wealthy as as they want to be. But I I believe that the intention behind it is what needs to be considered. And I had made that level of success a higher power in a way, you know, a Mm. form to, to drive my happiness. It's a bit like, you know, when I was a fitness trainer, people would come to me and say, I want to look like that, you know. And in my head, I'm like, you don't really want to look like that. Or if you do want to look like that, you're not, you're not going to feel the way that you think you're going to feel when you look like that because that's just a byproduct of being fit. It's not the thing. Mm. Um, and so I had forgotten about the journey. I was so focused on when I get this, then I'll be happy. When I'm there, then I'll be happy. Um, and I'd lost, I'd lost all insight of what was, what was going on. I don't know why this analogy is coming up, but it's like, if you're having sex and all you're thinking about is orgasm, it's probably, it's probably not going to happen. Right. Or, or or if it does, it's not going to be a particularly enjoyable process, Mm. you know? Mm. Um, And so for relapse, for me, I believe it was necessary. I believe I really needed that much pain to get humble, to understand where, which direction I wanted to go Mm. in, in, in life. But, you and I were talking about this before it's a funny because it's a funny concept that I have to destroy everything to 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 rebuild you know yeah um and professional athletes they don't wait until they lose games you know before they make a decision to change or or take on a coach or whatever it is they want to win more they want to do more they want to better themselves mm. um and for some reason I I looked at it and it in a, in a, different way. Um, my, my pride, my ego got in the way. I didn't know how to ask for help. Uh, and as a result, I didn't reach out and, 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 and simply saying, I don't know, I need help. Those are very powerful words.
1: Yeah. Do you, was, was there an element of, because things were from the outside looking in to any observer on a superficial level, your life, was going so well did it make Mm. you basically feel embarrassed or ashamed about admitting to not being happy because I know that's that's been the case for me and a lot of men that I've spoken to it's like the reason the the main thing is you think I will look so self-indulgent and pathetic if if I'm here with a great career and a nice car and everything else that uh, you could ever aspire to and yet I'm uh, you feel like you don't want to be a whinger no one wants to be a whinger do they Mm, no
2: uh, no it's, it's it's true and you know over the years having worked with millionaires and billionaires it's the same story you know i remember talking to a guy who would relapsed just after he sold his business for 25 million pounds yeah and i asked i asked him why and he said tim you know money makes misery less miserable and i don't want you to ever forget that you know and uh and, and i do i think it's people think it's you know there are starving people in the world so you've got wealth you've you know you've got a roof over your head nice car you know good family you should feel grateful but gratitude can't be you can't buy gratitude it can't be it can't be forced and i don't think it's an embarrassing thing to turn around and say but i don't feel like this you know i actually think it's the opposite
1: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt Year, year and a half like for you.
2: Uh I was kind of in and out of drug addiction and recovery. Uh the first stint was two weeks, then I got clean, then I was clean for six months, then I had a big relapse for three months, and my dad turned up at the flat and uh you know I, I wasn't in a good way. And then I went into rehab. And interestingly, you said you know, people who are forced to go into rehab doesn't often work out. And I went into rehab. And I came out and I lasted two months and I wasn't ready at the time to stop. And then I thought February, 2014, I thought I'll just go and buy enough drugs for the weekend and then I'll stop. Mm. And that lasted six months. And every single day I thought the same thing. I'll stop, I'll stop. And you know, I knew how to stop, but I couldn't stop. Um, And, um, and then my parents kind of intervened and, you know, were encouraging me to come back out to South Africa because that's where i would got, you know, sobriety before, and I think I, I needed to get out of London. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't couldn't get clean. I was trying,
0: and
1: it was uh, it was it was crack cocaine that you were addicted to, right? Crack,
2: yeah, yeah. smoke, smoking, smoke, smoking crack, and, um, you know, the last day I used, I, I I couldn't use at my flat because my parents were on my case, so I, I got my dealer to you know find me someone so i could use with and i you know i remember i was on my hands and knees looking for bits of rocks through the carpet whilst the street prostitute was staring at me in disgust because the drugs had run out and she 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 was like right it's time for you to go and i'll never forget that look and that was it that was it that was that i was like right i'm done now and uh and i've been clean since i'll be clean eight years this year
1: that's amazing, mate. Um, mm. Congratulations on that. And what what was going on with your business during this period? Did it did it was it surviving? Was it still thriving? No,
2: I mean, I had I had a few big clients on yearly retainers that I might see two or three times a year, um, and I'd spent that money. I had ten trainers, and uh, I'd spent their money. In fact, I was paying my trainers three months late. Um, because the money that was coming into the business bank account, I was just using. So um, yeah, and then I wasn't very active in the business. So the business was basically gone. I mean, there was still, I still had trainers that were working for me. Um and um, but but yeah, it was it was it was pretty much it was pretty much over. So um yeah, business gone, everything gone.
1: Wow so and so it was rehab was uh, followed was it South was it South Africa and I returned to South Africa yeah. and a final sent a rehab that finally got you got you sober for good
2: yeah I mean I, I, I came out here for a month initially and I then I was going to go back to London and you know get the business going again and you know because it was in a really good position but when I came out here I had to be, you know, I had to get really honest and I thought, you know, I don't sure I want to do that anymore. And I think if I go back to London at this stage, you know, the likelihood of me staying clean wasn't very high. So I just made a decision um, to shut the business down. Well, I didn't need to shut it down. It had already gone, but properly wind it down and, and just set myself up here as a, as a trainer. Um, I had no intention of living here long, long term, but I've stayed there ever since.
1: So since then, you've you started another business, uh, a tech mm. startup. How mm. did you feel going into that, though? Were you, you must have been sort of concerned and thinking, I better not let this drive me into dark places again.
2: Yeah, the, the app was was a funny kind of string of events. So Tim Hayes Fitness was my previous business, and I had a trainer in London that, that wanted to franchise that business. So I... um. I tried to franchise a business with him, but he wasn't Tim Hayes and I was in Cape Town and it didn't work out. Mm. And then I met this guy and he said, well, come and, come and meet this consultant. He's a really smart guy. He might be able to give you some perspective on it. I met him and he was like, why don't you do an app? And I thought, all right, I'll do an app. And I didn't have any money, you know, because of what had happened. And um, I knew I needed someone in London and an old mate of mine that, you know, I used to kind of get in trouble with back in the day, he called me up for some life advice. And um, I said to him, look, if you've got a bit of money, I think this, this business has got legs. So he put 15 grand in and then we managed to raise 150,000 pound investment. And I had no idea about apps. I had no idea about how to raise investment. It's actually not that hard. And, um, and so it, so it, so it began, you know, um and in the end i think four years old we've raised about half a million half a million quid i mean it's just it's a it's a you know I, I was very much about the the act was very much about changing the fitness industry i thought people needed to be connected with good personal trainers good yoga instructors that knew what they were talking about and they're few and far between mm. and I also wanted people to understand that fitness was about getting fit and not about how you look in in the mirror so that that was the intention of the business. But what happened was we, we took on more investors and with more investors, then the business started to change and it was about money. And, and um, because of what, like my, last, my last relapse was so horrific. It was so horrible. I never want to go anywhere near that again. And so any red flags that popped up, i.e. am I doing this for joy or am I doing it for money? That was a big red flag for me. And um, yeah, four years on, I left the business for that reason um, because I I knew I knew it was
1: I knew my intentions weren't right. It's very difficult, that isn't it? I mean, it, gets, it takes a lot of strength when mm. things are going well and opportunities are in front of you and there's money there to be made. It's mm. it, it's very very difficult to sort of mm. turn away from that, mm. but. But it, I, I totally agree with you. It's extremely necessary. It's mm. about knowing what what goes at the centre of your life, I suppose. So mm. what, what, what would you describe it as being at the, the, the centre of everything you do now?
2: Peace. Mm. Peace. You know, I think lots of people... Look, the coaching market was blown up and everyone's talking about happiness and, you know, I just want to be peaceful, you know, peacefully happy, peacefully grumpy, Uh I want to wake up just feeling pretty content most of the time, you know? And I say most of the time, like 80% of the time, but that hmm. that's sort of my benchmark. And I was talking to someone about it the other day and I came up with the, my, what's my freedom code? You know, we have this moral code, these moral boundaries that we create, Yeah. but I, I, I protect my freedom, my peace at, at all costs on every level, whether it's money, whether it's business, whether it's friends, whether it's relationships I know exactly what I want most of the time and I definitely know what I don't want And if it's on the, the I don't want this I, I, it's gone I'm, mm. I don't even entertain it you know because I know where 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 that goes and it was hard leaving that business investors have put a lot of money in I was worried if I left they might lose that but you know that's the game of investment and I felt like I might be let, letting a lot of people down but I had emotionally checked out, you know, it was best for me to leave the business for the business, but also for myself. And, you know, I think we can, we can have a really lovely life. We can have freedom. We can have peace. And if we want, we can make lots of money along the way as well. You know, um, we get to choose.
1: Um, so a lot of it, by sounding is like about boundary setting. You, you know, you, you set strict boundaries. Um, in the past that sort of feeling when you're kind of at the center of a business and especially like with your businesses you were your name was on the tin in mm. both cases so it was very much about you and therefore you feel like you've got a lot of people dependent on you so you know that's another like trigger really isn't it for for, for addiction and stuff like that is like you, you end up making decisions on the basis of you don't want to let people down and that's yeah. a real that's a real danger. Um, so I guess is that is that one of the big things now is just you having boundaries and making sure that you put yourself first?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I believe I went through what I went through in terms of addiction and the colourful life that I've lived and the businesses that I've, that I've done so that I can be of service to others. But in order for me to do that, I need to be true to myself, which I know sounds a bit fluffy you know, and we talk about authenticity, but it's really, really important. You know, like romantically, I was very lost for a long time, and I had to really understand what my needs were in order to get into a really loving and nurturing romantic relationship, which which I'm in now. But when it comes to business, we seem to have like these different kind of morals and boundaries and codes associated with business. Probably, you know fueled by money and ego um but for me i think they're exactly the same you know my boundary has to be is this is this right for me does it does it kind of nourish my you know the journey that i'm on to create more freedom more peace more joy in my life and if it doesn't i don't even consider it anymore i just i just suck it off
1: that's um I think I totally agree and I think it's really beautiful and I think that you know there is something that we've all been raised by professionally maybe it's different for younger people coming into the workplace now but I think our generation were like but I'm not sure about that at all actually I mean I don't know if you saw that I mean I see young people in the industry I work in sometimes and they're like exploited much worse than I ever was when I started but The sensibility that you just without any complaint get your head down and flog yourself Mm. stupid. And Mm. the moment you raise any sort of resistance or question to that, you know, Mm. you're finished, or certainly you're the subject of ridicule pretty quickly. Mm. Everyone bought into that. Everyone who had any sort of ambition just you had to buy into that. And I wonder whether or not, you know, people. A learning that, like how dangerous that attitude is, and, and how clearly there is another way to live your life. Mm. Mm. I, I
2: I think you know I think one of the beautiful things about the last few years that we've been through with the pandemic is it has has created people to, some reasons to actually think about what's important. You know they get to spend more time at home with their friends with their family. So I would like to think that people are looking at. Particularly their careers and their relationship with money in a in a in a in a different way, or in the same way that they would view a relationship, for example. I mean, the, the mere fact that you have to go to work and present a different version of yourself, if you really think about it, it's really odd. Like flip it around, right? So you are, when you go to work, you're really you're, you're you you know you're Sam you're, you're a really lovely human and then when you come home to your family you just present this different game playing slightly dishonest and manipulative mm. person it doesn't make it, it doesn't make sense mm. it doesn't make sense you know mm. um, so i i see it changing i see i see i see a different energy that people are talking about but it's going to take time it's going to take time
1: and now you are Life coaching, what 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 has that taught you? What are you getting from that life?
2: I mean, I you know, I was a fitness trainer for 15 years, and really I think since since 2014, after I relapsed, the way I coached clients in fitness was very different. It was much more around getting them to understand that there was a bigger picture, that there was more that there are bigger things in play than weight loss, you know, and how they looked in the mirror. And so my clients started to ask me for coaching um, informally and it just felt like the right direction for me to move in. I'd become a bit, there's only so many different variations of lunges and push-ups that you can do. I've been doing it for a long time and I just, it didn't excite me anymore, you know? And, And again, that was an important part of my spiritual freedom was to keep, keep myself stimulated. So so I did, a, I did a diploma in the UK in, in transformational coaching. And then I was doing sort of fitness and coaching at the same time, but it was a bit weird because you'd have like a, you know, a, a deep inner child conversation and the next day you're talking about pectorals and glutes and it was just a bit weird. Um, so, so yeah, 2019, I left the fitness market and then moved over to to coaching which is it's just been a beautiful journey I love it I absolutely love it
1: and and what are the sort of themes that you find yourself dealing with day to day um what are the popular what are the most common things that come up but you know are you seeing other people who are similar to you similar age men or or do you see all sorts of different people
2: no so I, I think it's important for coaches and for people who are looking for coaches to work with 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 someone that has been there and has done it you know uh the coaching market has kind of exploded and I think that there are a lot of coaches out there selling things that maybe they haven't done themselves Mm -hmm. um and it's important for me if I'm working with someone that I've got something that they are are looking to to achieve um so I tend to focus on people that want to leave the employed market or the corporate world and, and set up and grow a a purposeful business that creates a, a ripple effect and has a positive impact in people's lives. And I also work with people that have done that and then are in the place that I was in when I was walking through Hampstead Heath. And they they've got the external kind of tick boxes checked. You know, they've got the the family or they've got the money, they've got the life, but they're feeling lost and they they, they don't know which direction to move into next. And that's you know. I, if I can end their pain cycle sooner and then get them to look in a different direction to, to create a more fulfilling life then uh, job done really so, so that's what I do now um, it, it's odd because people pay me to make them to, to, to create a, a, a happiness and joy and peace in their life and it, I almost feel a bit guilty because it's just such a delicious job to do you know, yeah. it's so lovely it's so lovely
1: but, but how difficult is it when, for instance, someone... So in 2017, I was sort of on a, close to relapse. I was burnt out. I was, uh, I guess, two, two and a half years sober. And I had a business that was doing very, very well. And there was a lot of different people working for it, but they were all very dependent on me. I was at the centre of it. it. You know, there was a TV show and a radio show that I hosted and all the, the company produced all of these things. And I was exhausted. I didn't get to see enough of my family, but I had a lot of money coming in and there was a lot of money going to other people. And I was very close to relapsing, particularly on drugs, because I just, as we touched upon it, I just literally didn't have the energy to function. Mm. And I wasn't happy. Mm. And I remember a couple of people in my life saying, you need to step back and let go of some of these things. Mm. I, I could not begin to contemplate the chaos that that would create me walking mm. away from my business me shutting it down me, me stopping any any element of it the people who would lose their livelihoods and more than that my bank balance which I was you know I don't I live hand to mouth so however much I'm earning I was always spending anyway mm. I, I, and, and it, it there was just so many different things I just thought well that's just not on the agenda at all so what are my mm. other options here as it happened you know, I often think the universe takes t- takes care of the things that you can't take care of yourself. So actually, what happened was eventually everything crashed. You know, it's like the, we lost the jobs, the the business ran out of ran out of road. Everything went wrong, and I, and I look back now on that period and think, well, that's what led me to where I am now. And thank God I have learned mm. that actually I wasn't putting myself at the center of my life. I was putting. Mm. It would have been so difficult for anyone to have talked to me. It was only another crisis, effectively, and it was a crisis I went through in 2018 that got me to where I am now, which is a much happier place. So crisis mm. basically intervened and changed everything mm. for me because there was no way I would ever change it myself. Mm. So I suppose what I'm saying is you must see situations like that a lot. How can you how difficult is it to appeal to someone in a situation similar to mine, which I'm assuming is quite common, and say, do you know what? You need less in your life. You need Mm. to start taking things out of your life.
2: It is, you know, it's interesting because and it's it's not something I'm sure about, you know. I wanna I wanna end people's pain cycles sooner, but is that possible? Do we need adversity? Do we need pain like you you got? In, in order to create the change, and is that just part of human existence? Uh, we, we, I know, we don't have time to discuss that topic today. But um, the place, but I, but I believe we are becoming more intelligent now with understanding. It's, it's not so much what are we going to lose, but it's, it's more. If the next ten years is going to be the same as this, is that, is that enough? And maybe that's a place to. To start, And if the answer is no or maybe, then let's have a look at that rather than trying to assume the roadmap ahead and then catastrophizing everything, everything ahead, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I spent a year thinking about leaving the app before I left. A year, you know. So I, all of that time and energy, just thinking, you know, there's a question I ask people sometimes, how long have you been thinking about thinking? Right. And when you really think about that the time, the energy, the impact that that has on, you know, you could be in front of your kids and they're talking to you and you're thinking about, should I do this? Should I do that? So when you start to really have really zoom out and understand that you don't need to make necessarily big decisions, but rather start with what do you want? What's important? Then these decisions start to become a little bit more palatable.
1: Tim, it's fascinating talking to you. Uh, It's a privilege too to he being so open and honest with me and and the listeners to The Reset. Um, I I feel delighted having heard your story. I feel delighted about where you are now. Thank you. And, you know, impressed by these years of sobriety and everything you've been through. And, And thanks for all your wisdom today. It's a real pleasure.
2: Thank you for having me. It's been really great connecting.
1: There you go, Tim Hayes. A life spent in pursuit of peace sounds pretty attractive to me. It seems a shame that so many of us have to live through a life of chaos before we get around to understanding the appeal of simplicity. If you want to find out more about his work, then visit timhayes.coach. And if you enjoy The Reset, you might like to subscribe at samdelaney.substack.com. You'll get a weekly newsletter as well as receiving this pod a day before anyone else straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all your support. And until next time, be lucky. And don't let the dickheads get you down.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh.